On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, we talk with divorce and family law attorney Lloyd Malik about trial strategies and what you should do when the court makes the wrong decision. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, everyone. Today on our show, we have family law and divorce attorney Lloyd Malik. And before we get to our conversation with Lloyd, and it's a really great conversation, you'll learn a lot. He's very helpful, great guy. We are still always on the lookout for survivor stories for our survivor story episode. So if you want to go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com, top of the page, there's a button that says guest form. You press that button, you fill it out, and we will go from there. Another way to be on our show is to be part of our Letters to My Narcissist compilation episode. And for that, there's a button on the side of the page that says send voicemail. You press that button, it records up to five minutes, Press it twice, records up to 10. We are accumulating these letters for a volume six of that episode. If you do not want to read the letter yourself, you want me or my old pal Melissa to read it for you, please send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com. And what else do we have for you, everyone? Well, you can join our Patreon, become a patron of our Patreon to help support the show. There we have our community forum boards. We have our twice-weekly Zoom support groups. I love the groups. Everyone is awesome in the groups. And we also have shows that have never made it to air, follow-ups with former guests, and much more. So to become a patron of the show and our Patreon, go to patreon.com slash NarcissistApocalypse. And now, without Further ado, here is my episode with Lloyd Malik. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A. With me today, I have Lloyd Malik. How are you? I'm doing very, very well, Bren. Thank you so much uh, for letting me be a guest on your podcast. Happy to be here. Well, you are welcome. And for those that do not know Lloyd Malik, he is from Malik Law. His website is maliklaw.com. He's been a lawyer for 27 years. He's a divorce attorney and a high-conflict divorce attorney out of Bethesda, Maryland, and the Washington, D.C. area. He was awarded one of the New York Times Power Lawyers of 2021. He is a top 10 family lawyer from the attorney and practice magazine. And he's also a national Academy of family law attorney, 2021 top lawyer for excellence in the field of family law. Lloyd, thank you for being here and thank you for getting a hold of me originally. Uh, you know, a couple years ago when I did a, an episode with Helen of who people have listened to that episode before, a great informative episode, pretty much law 101 for for the intro to divorce. And in that instance, I remember thinking one day, I need to talk to a lawyer. I need to learn. And boom, the next day, I had an inbox mail from her. And then I, this time, I said to myself, I need to bring someone on and really start drilling down on some subjects, not just broad stuff. And boom. The next day, I have a message from you. And I just want to add something to that because yeah. on my side, the weirdest thing happened. Um, so I was out with my girlfriend. We were, you know, we were just out on a Saturday night, and I don't even know why I had my cell phone out or why I was fumbling around and looking at things. But I saw the name of your podcast, and I was like, "What?" It just it seemed to come into my feet, and I get I don't even know why I was looking or what I was looking for. 
And I was like, this is intriguing to me. I want to find out more. And then I just, you know, sent the message through. It was really, that was, I, I can't tell you why. It was just so wild. Yeah, and, and I got a hold of you pretty quickly after that. And then I did some research on you. I was like, is this, who is this guy? And I started doing, uh, looking at all of the reviews and the things that I found interesting about your reviews, besides having uh, all top reviews wherever I was looking, was that you weren't just a lawyer for people with money. You also did uh, pro bono work. You did uh, public defending for people who are in these situations as well. And that gave me a lot of confidence to bring you on the show. Uh, you know, we've talked before uh, today as well. You're just a good guy. Uh, and from all of your awards and everything, a great lawyer. So really, thank you for being here today. And for everyone who's listening, you know, we wanted to kind of drill down on, on certain things. And if you listen to our Survivor Story episode with Maxine, in, in that episode, you, you got to hear that at the uh, end of her story that the court made a wrong decision. The court wasn't listening to her. And uh, with her child custody with her husband and she had to her child has had to go and, and stay with her husband who's not a good person for the last 13 or 14 years. So we're going to talk about a lot of things. But the main thing we're going to talk about is what happens when the court makes the wrong decision and how do you unwind that decision or what are the strategies to go about it after the fact so let's just kind of start there and you know lloyd thank you for being here and and how, how do you go about this well first of all i have this idea that justice will be served or at least i have an idea that it should be served and it upsets me very much when i see it not being served and, and getting the wrong results um, sadly, it happens. And again, it's, just, it's like one of the worst things to see. You, you know your guy is or your gal, she didn't do anything. Uh, but here they are caught up in the, uh, I, I, the criminal justice system or the protective order system. I mean, of course, they're slightly different. And, you know, I'm, I'm assuming your audience knows uh, that one, you could bring a civil protection order against your partner, spouse, what have you. Uh, and then you could also be criminally prosecuted for the safety and assault of conduct or that type of thing. But yeah, um, there does seem to be a, a, a widespread use of the protective orders, unfortunately, in instigating a divorce or trying to use it as a, uh, a club or a sword as opposed to a shield, right? These protection orders are for protection. But there are people who will be caught up in the system by the other side saying, ha-ha, I could get my partner out. I could get my spouse out of the house by call, claiming unsolved when no solve happened. And that's the, one of the results, again, one of the, the things I see very often, quite frankly, uh, where people are, are starting a, a lawsuit against their spouse. It's really a custody case, for example, or it's a divorce case. And in order to gain the upper hand, they'll do that. And I guess the question that you're really asking is, well, what happens if that happens to me? You know, what am I going to do? You know, um, how do I get this straight? Um, I mean, for, unfortunately, unfortunately, the, the system's set up to do these things very, very expedited, very quick. They will take a week or two weeks, depending. Or, and again, other jurisdictions be longer or shorter. But, but it's really, really expedited because the, the relief uh, is supposed to be awarded in an emergency basis. But um, you might not have the time to get the proper defense, um, and, and you might have a judge. I mean, first of all, you know, God bless the judges. It's the hardest job. Two people are telling you completely different things. Who's telling the truth? Uh, it's a hard thing to do, but. Um, you, get, you don't necessarily have the time to develop the case and really get into it uh, at that level. So let's think of this, this scenario. There's a, a, an allegation, say the, the, one of the partners decides to call the police and call assault and then takes a, uh, I don't know, takes a, a hard object of, and punches him or herself on the head and gives a little bruise there. And the cops come in, they see a bruise, they, they hear the call for 911, I'm being assaulted. Um, and next thing you know, it, the 
person is arrested and taken out of the house. Now, let's assume nothing really happens with the criminal case. Let's just keep it on the civil side. So the person is now put out of the house and has to have to trial in a week or two weeks. What have and um, what happens? Well, you put up your hits a he said, she said, and some people are going to say, well, all right, the the uh, it happened, or and you know if it happened, well then justice is served. But if it didn't, we now have this the, this common scenario where the the innocent we'll call it spouse or partner is now put out of the house for a year you know, or six months again, depending on the jurisdiction. Uh, and then really, what do you do? Well, you know, it's a lot of times it's really really difficult to unwind. Uh, and, you know, what other damage could there be? Well, you know, not only in a situation like that would the person be put out of the house, but the courts in these situations have the opportunity or the power to award uh, custody immediately, emergency custody of the children. And it may be that there's, um, you know, an allegation of, of child abuse. Right? And, and I've been seeing a bunch of those lately, too. Um, and can't see your kid and you want to see your kid and you know it's a power play by the other side um let's just let's just call it you know as we see it a lot of times will be narcissistic people on the other side who justify their behavior you know, their ends uh justify their means and their ends may not be just and they'll do whatever they need to do uh yeah so what do you do and i, I guess it's if you hadn't called the lawyer beforehand well you better get one now because and there's not a heck of a lot that you can do. Um, well, when these situations occur, I mean, the you know the best thing to do is bring the situation back up now in the divorce court. You will have another time to readdress it. And hopefully at that point, and again, depending on the jurisdiction, I practice, the reason I keep saying this is I practice in D.C. and in Maryland. And, uh, the, the pace of things are, are a little bit different in the, in the two courts, and even among the counties in Maryland, they, they differ. But uh, once you're able to get uh, before a judge in a family court, it may be a month, three months, four months later, and this status quo, this new status quo has already been established. And this new status quo that's um, maybe is working out in the favor of, of one party or another uh well you know basically working out against but we're in this case we're the ones who are you know the wrong things happened to us uh yeah where the status quo is now being established where you're not having custody of your kid for no really for no reason at all I mean, it's, it's, it's unjustified uh in reality it's only justified by the false charges that were brought against you um well here's what i do again it's, it's so difficult if some other lawyers can come in here and tell me how they do it, I'd like to hear that too. But what I am able to do uh, for my clients at this point is to keep them in the positive mindset, keep them in, in the knowing, in their heart of hearts, you know, trusting that truth will come out. And again, it didn't come out at the beginning, and there could certainly be a, a lot of heartache, and there's always going to be heartache in these types of cases anyway. And in fact, if you're dealing with a narcissist, you're, in, you're having heartache even beforehand. But, uh, you know, it's at a new level now. Um, you got to trust that they're going to slip up. There's going to be a mistake. There's enough truth out there that when you have your day for the merits hearing and you get to have the full trial, fully explored, there's going to be plenty of evidence there. And, you know, and one of the things I've also... I believe, although they may be, they being the narcissists, of course, good liars. You know, they may be, they believe what they're saying. They may be able to convince a lot of people, their friends, people who are sympathetic to them, the truth. I really believe that in developing through cross-examination and through the trial process, the judge will know, will be able to tell who's telling the truth. Again, there's still some faith here, but I really believe it. You come in there with the right attitude. You come in there you know, with the right lawyer prepping you and doing the investigation and the discovery and getting evidence and getting witnesses and getting other things together. Your, your truth will come out. And at that point, 
the the way to unwind this whole thing would be through a well-developed trial strategy. And it's a tough, tough row to hoe. And um, I guess one of the things also I'd, I'd like to talk to, to you and your, your audience about is knowing if you are in that situation where a divorce against a narcissistic spouse is imminent, talk to a lawyer if you can beforehand because there's going to be certain moves that are going to likely to use. And you know, there are ways to protect yourself from the bad thing happening, the, the early bad results. Uh, you, you, de- you never want to be behind the gun if you, get, you know, if you get help, but you want to at least be even, if not ahead, right? Uh, but that's what we were talking about. You know, you, you're, you're thrown under the bus. Something happens right away, and you're now coming fighting from behind. And um, it is a fight. Uh, but you are, you know, you, there are things that I would certainly advise my clients in advance of this. If he, they came in and say, okay, beware, you know, be, beware that in, in the next couple of weeks, if you mention that you want a divorce, you might find yourself uh, with a knock on the door from the police saying that you assaulted your, your spouse and get arrested. So be, be wary, you know, these, these types of things. Um, so, yeah, I would make sure that you are ready and able to, to deal with this. So, you know, going back to my that episode that we did with Maxine, what she had happen was, and this was in Canada and it was the United States, so it's possibly a little different. She had, you know, she wanted full custody of her kids or of mm-hmm. her child. And she got, it, it became 50-50. And she had evidence uh, that her ex was doing a lot of, bad things, things that he admitted to and things that, that he had written down. But because he did not do any of that stuff to his child, mm-hmm. he got half of the custody. And is that a case of a bad judge? And if you do get a judge that you think is a bad judge and isn't listening, are there ways to get that judge removed? That's probably not going to happen unless there's a unless you're in a jurisdiction where the same judge is uh, appearing in earlier hearings repeatedly, and there's been a so before the ultimate trial date, you, you're, you've been for the judge for this issue and that issue, and then you can show on a record or whatever the record may be, assuming it's an open court, which is what I'm talking about, there'd be transcripts. If there was something there, yeah, maybe. Um, Possibly, if you have all of that, but that's a tough situation. I mean, that's a, that's really tough if you have a bias judge. But I have seen, you know, in, again, I'm not here to say any one judge or judges get it wrong. But you, you know, you you have your sense of what the truth is, and and it's it's not proven. Um, but if you believe like in advance that there's some type of bias, um, it is a def- it's definitely a difficult thing to to um, prove in advance. Yeah, I mean, there would have to be something like there's a conflict of interest in the sense that the judge knows the party or the judge's sp- you know, spouse knows the party's spouse or there's, there's some type of connection. Um, but it's really, really difficult. And that's why I guess it's so important that we have really good judges. I mean, it's, it's, that's a huge, huge um, thing. I mean, it's very, very important. But, but if you do get a bad judge and you get a judgment that you think is wrong – is there a way to unwind a bad decision like that? Yes. Yeah. I mean, and, and basically there's a few things that, that could be done. First of all, in some jurisdictions, and again, I always want to put it this way because we're talking internationally really between you know, yeah. me and with, um, you know, people, courts and jurisdictions have different methods. But um, one of the things that you could do is you could ask for a reconsideration um, which is basically if you within 10 days, typically you, you could say, all right, um, maybe judge didn't consider this and give the judge another opportunity. Sometimes you could do something uh, like it's called like an on bank or something where it's you ask a panel of judges to review the same facts uh, and they would have an opportunity to reverse it um, or remand it or sort of like a, a, like a mini appeal. Or, um, you know, if neither of those work, you always have the court of appeals. And if, 
it's something that's actually apropos to our conversation. Um, recently, a, a client of mine had actually it brings in a lot of the stuff that we're talking about. Um, <clears throat> there was a it's a child it's a divorce with children and it's still ongoing, but the um, husband and wife split up. Um, the wife was very resentful. I represent the husband just so I could, you know, if I'm starting to throw a lot of bias in there, let me just tell you right now. Okay. Uh, and I, I, I don't, I don't want to get too judgy about it, but just, I think it'll be easier to explain. So in this particular case, the, the husband, um, was at least being accused of having a girlfriend and the marriage broke up and she was resentful. The, the scorned wife and, you know, the scorned, she took the kids and went, home to, you know, her dad in another state. And, um, you know, he, my client was, you know, kind of upset about this, of course, and he filed for divorce. And, um, but she didn't want to bring the children down. And he believed that there was, again, we're talking, going back to what we were talking about a few minutes ago, but that there was a lot of pathology going on in that particular household. And he filed a protection order, and then she filed a protection order. So now they're in court with cross protection orders. He's saying she's a neglectful mom. She's got her you know, mental health issues, not a, a dirty house, doesn't brush the kids' teeth, their teeth are all falling. I mean, just whatever, just things. And she was saying, yeah, well, he slapped the kid in the face one time, and uh, he drinks too much in front of the kids, and he's a neglectful father. And, you know, so anyway, but one of the things that um, in this particular jurisdiction, Maryland, um, that one may get a protective order uh, for is called um, revenge porn. Now, I don't know if you ever discussed that in your show or, or people know what that is, but essentially uh, some jurisdictions have passed laws that say if you post, uh, say, you know, lewd or indecent images of your partner, uh, ex-partner, typically, uh, for the purpose of humiliating, embarrassing uh, them, or just revenge, okay? then uh, that would be against the law. And in this case, the spouse alleged um, that he, among other things, the other things I just mentioned, had put uh, pictures of her uh, on I don't know, some, some of the social media, uh, what is that, Reddit uh, or Tumblr, things like that. And... <clears throat> The, the judge picked up on that and, and uh, actually everything else, all the other things that he said and she said about each other, found none of them, but found revenge porn. And my client basically said, and the testimony was, well, listen, you know, we put these up five years ago, and this is something we like to do as a married couple. You know, we're consenting adults, and she, the reason she was able to find that these things were on the internet is she knew they were there because we put them there together. And um, one, of the, one of the things that was just, you know, again, we're talking about what can you do if the, the, it goes wrong. Um, the, the judge says, well, you know, she, she, she wanted you to take it down, and you didn't take it down fast enough. Okay? So he's like, you know, and, and when he said to me, well, you know, she, yes, she did ask me to take it down, you know, on week one. And I tried to, I, I couldn't remember the password. I hadn't gone on there in years. I didn't know how to do it. It took me a while. But eventually, you know, he got it done before the hearing. And um, the judge said that that was revenge for him. But the, the problem with that was, was not only was it necessarily the revenge when he posted it, because it was consensual. The thing that I thought was most egregious about this particular case was that the judge found that it was um, one of the one of the terms that it has to be is like okay if I put a picture of somebody who's identifiable right what does that mean well you know who it is if I put a picture of you know, whatever you and your face was there you know people would know that's you know that's branded you know it's him I can see it's his face right? um, but in these particular situations it was just intimate body parts okay so it's like here is a body part. Here's a, someone's private. Here's a, here's a picture of just a vagina. Okay. And that's it. And, but you couldn't tell. There's nothing distinguishing about her. You know, her name was not associated. It didn't say, say, you know, I'm Mr. Jones and this is my wife. And, you know, her name is, there's nothing identifiable at all in the publication of this particular 
uh, picture, image of a body part. And yet the judge says, because she said, oh, I gave him that picture. And I, that's me. I know that. I know that. That's, that became identifiable. And, and anyway, the point is I appealed. Uh, it's on appeal now. I cannot imagine any court of appeals upholding that decision because it just it just defies what the whole statute was all about. But the the you know how does a bad thing happen? Well, in this particular case, the, the bad thing that happens is the judge awarded the mom custody of the children because of that. I mean, it, it, it's so she has primary custody. They're in a different state, and uh, you know my poor client is behind the you know the the gun here. I mean, he's he did not have the the benefit of uh, I'll call it momentum. You know, the the momentum of the case is. Hey, you know, everything's okay. Things aren't really bad for the kids. They're okay over there, so let's leave it. And that's the momentum I'm talking about. Um, had there not been that order, well, you know, could have just the kids would have been with him. And uh, he could have had the momentum. But so, again, here's a bad ruling, and the bad result is that. Now, we, we don't know what the final outcome of the case is going to be. That's to be determined. But, um, you know, you can see how this all plays out with, with the protection order, a bad judge, uh, you know, what happens, and we still have the opportunity to unwind it with the appeal, which is ongoing, and it's been briefed and all, and we still have a trial coming out. So, um, I don't know, if you want to catch up with me next, <laughs> in a couple of months, uh, we'll figure out how it turns out. But, of course, I hope that we get the just result. So, uh, you bring up the word momentum, and it's something we didn't talk about in our previous uh, notes before we took this call. Sure. So, how important is establishing the momentum? Is this like a basketball game or a football game where, like, you want to be the team out there uh, right away establishing your type of game that you're going to be playing to make the other the other side play your game? Uh, that's, a, that's a great, great uh, way of looking at it, like a, like a sporting event. But, yeah, I kind of see it like that, and it shouldn't be. And I think a good judge is not going to keep it that way. In other words, um, sometimes you get uh, these – court evaluators or somebody who makes a recommendation, well, since everything's okay, yeah, there's the momentum. Uh, I would advise everybody, every, all my clients, of course, not the other side, but my clients, uh, that, yeah, you want to make sure that you're starting out on an even playing field. Uh, and I think this is something that, um, you know, maybe why we're, now we're going to like the preparation. You know, if, if you say we're to, be really upset about your, your, you couldn't really live another day with your narcissist or your spouse or what have you. And you got to get the heck out of there and do what you got to do. Um, don't just leave. If, I mean, if you have to, for safety reasons, of course, but, uh, but if, if not, um, do whatever you can to make sure that you have some type of agreement in place, if possible, about the custody of the kids where it's equal, at least equal custody. I mean, at that point, I mean, at least if you're, you can get, Full custody. Well, that's great, but again, we don't know who we we don't know who we're talking to in our audience here. Like, specifically, what is your situation? But, but typically, yeah, you would want to make sure that you are uh, at least on an equal playing field um, when when doing that, because uh, you, in, in, you know, with respect to the momentum, you move out, you want to see your kids. There's no order in place. The other side says no, and what are you going to do? Have a tug of war with the kids? Well, yeah. But if you're the good parent, and I'm using now, I'm certainly putting value judgments in here. You have to realize that kids are not pawns; they're people, and they're little people, and they're people who have big emotions and uh, are very, very um, influenced in their lives, or influenced and affected by what goes on between their parents, and especially in this very, very difficult time. But some people don't care, and they will do that. They will do the tug of war, uh, you know. And, and it's, it's it's really it's a tough thing to do. Uh, but it's, there's nothing really set up that that immediately upon separation, you're, you're put into a place where you can you can decide what's going to be done. And again, a lot of people, most people are able to come up with something workable. You know, I mean, they do. But there are, we're talking about the cases where you're dealing with someone irrational and are at least unreasonable and not able to really deal with you know, what would be in some objective sense fair, right? Uh, and yeah, I mean, that would be the, the, the reason why a good lawyer in your corner in advance would be able to help you. I mean, there's no guarantee of any results of what you can do, but you can certainly be helped. There are things that can be done, and specifically, it's really so case-specific. You don't know, but um, 
you know, it, it's, I find that to be one of the most nasty times in, in the divorces is right at the separation period. It's a lot in its state. So, you know, we had this down on our list of where we were going to insert this in part of the show, but it seems right here is the most appropriate part, a uh, place to discuss the things not to do before anything mm-hmm. ever happens, such as, you know, leaving the house while the other spouse is there with the kids. You know, that's a thing that people are like, that's a, maybe a bad idea to do. So what are the things that are like a hundred percent, this is a bad idea to kind of do before, um, you know, the split happens, you know, you, you obviously I'll also talk there about a 50, 50, write it down before this even separation happens, like 50, 50. So what are those kinds of things that like, so your court process can kind of go <clears throat> smoother. At least you're on an even playing field, you know, that you're not being accused of kidnapping the kids. You're not being uh, accused of, you know, well, I take care of the kids all of the time right now. You know, I have proof of it. So, you know, those are things that are getting you offside right at the beginning. So I guess is what are the, the things, I guess, the top things for you to be like, this is what you should or shouldn't do. Well, right. Um, so I guess you don't want to be caught um, by surprise, right? Again, it's not what you don't do, so, but it's kind of what you do to prepare in the sense like, okay, here you are now, and again, this happens all the time. There may be one spouse who is the financially dominant spouse, in other words, the earner, and the other one is not, and you have a situation where the dominant spouse uh, shuts the – non-working spouse down financially cuts them out cuts them down by their knees right they can't do much how do you hire a lawyer how do you support this you become completely dependent upon the um student the ex uh in a situation so what do you do don't let that happen right uh and how do you not let that happen you know to the extent that's possible and, and again there are very very abusive situations where it may be impossible and it's really really tough to deal with this but if you are somewhere in the middle uh, where most people probably are, do what you need to do to, to keep some uh, cash reserves on the side. How? Well, it's up to you. You know, your situation is particular to you, but uh, that would be something. So in other words, if you're in, in, in the art of war, if you're to just sit there and you have, you, you cut off your, your enemy's supplies, their, their, you know, food or their, their, whatever their, their, their food supplies, uh, and they can't fight the fight. Well, you know, similarly, if you cut off them, you know, the, the opposing side's finances, it's going to be very, very difficult for them to fight. And, and, you know, we're talking now, but you don't need that person. You don't want to be caught in that. So do what you can to get that information or get that money. And then similarly, with respect to some of the information that you may need, you want to, you know, you want to uh, put, uh, I guess, in your back pocket or take pictures of an email and, you know, any of these documents that may be lying around the house that may be relevant financial documents. That, again, you don't know everything. But, I mean, it, and in this day and age, a lot, of, a lot of it is digital. So it may not be you know, the same thing where, you know, that under the, in the, in the, in the, the shoebox, you know, in the basement, there's all the old you know, bank statements. But, but um, you know, you, you want to be prepared, you know, for that. Um, you know, and one of the things I suppose that you, um, you know, don't want to do is if you are that dominant, you know, the financial financial dominating spouse, you, you don't, I mean, you may, but, um, you know, I wouldn't recommend that you cut up your, um, you know, student to be asked by, by his or her knees financially, because that's going to come back and bite you on the butt. You know, that's just, you know, uh, the judges wouldn't like to see that. What you have, you're making X amount of money and this person sitting here with nothing and you cut them off and you didn't give them anything and you did, you know, that may not uh, bode well you know, for that person somewhere down the line. And you need to make sure that you have someone who, a lawyer on your side who can, who can frame that properly and, and take the um, aggression or the, you know, it was like Tai Chi or something, you know, they're, they're coming at you and you're taking their energies and working it to your advantage. And so there's things that, that can be done, but again, it, I don't recommend it. And I think I have a case right now where that's about to happen. What I just said with, with the spouse private financially disabled um the, the my, my client it's a new client that came in recently and 
you know what she's gonna do? She's gonna you know, end up having to go to uh, you know the, the, the county and and apply for services because there's nothing there. How, you know what's a judge gonna do when they say, "What you making all this money, sir, or ma'am, or whatever?" And this is what you're doing. That's probably not gonna be you know well, we we could turn that and you know. So again, I'm not telling people. I mean, you, you may do it, you may not do it. I I would never tell my clients to do something like that. Um, you know, it's just it's, it, it it maybe it may think it's great, but you don't. Another, you don't want to be stuck doing it, but you also don't want to do it. You, you know, there's other things that you can do. So let's talk about money and mm-hmm. lawyers and fees and how um, you know when choosing a lawyer. Obviously, people want to get through this as fast as possible and as cheap as possible. And sometimes that's not going to be the case based upon the type of people that you're going to be going to court with. So when it comes to strategy for you and trying to make your client feel comfortable that, you know, we this is the money that needs to be spent to, to, to win this, you know, what do you kind of tell people as far as realistic uh, options, opinions um, uh, about that type of process? Because for a lot of people, they're spending money they might not have um, or, you know, they might be making, I don't know how it all works. I've never been in this situation. So how do you go about going through that with someone um, and find, if, if they don't you, you, use you, uh, how do they find um, the lawyer that is can help really help them uh, when it comes down to money? You know, that's that's really it's a difficult difficult thing because you know, the as the lawyer, the experienced lawyer, and you're seeing the person there, I mean, you're able to see a, a lot more than you know meets the eye. You're able to see the future, and not to say what will happen in the future, but you know the issues that are going to arise. And certainly you, as the lawyer at the early phase, would be sitting there thinking, like, this person may not be able to afford this or will run out of fees before we get to the end. What do you do? You say, well, I'll do what I can until you know, the person runs out of money. You know, a lot of people do that. A lot of lawyers will do that. They'll say, yeah, well, there's, there's something here. We'll do that. Um, what would be the optimum thing or the optimal thing? Uh, in this situation would be to say, okay, all right, here's what we got to work with. What's the best thing that we can do? I mean, that, that would be great. But even with that, even with that in mind, it takes two, right? It takes two to, to, to settle. And whatever, basically you want to settle. I mean, by the way, every case should settle. I'm just saying because there is a right result, sort of. I mean, uh, it's just when you have two people who can't agree what the right result is, you you know, there's a trial, but, but most cases should, should settle, but there's a lot of hard feelings. There's a lot of animosity, resentments, hatred, feel love, whatever it is, uh, that's going to prevent that, you know, in a typical or in, in a scenario. But, um, but as far as working with that person who may not have enough to go the distance, um, it's, it's really one of the tougher things. It's really tough for lawyers to, to deal with that. Because uh, you, especially someone who wants to help, you know, it's like this person desperately needs help. You know, it, what do you do? Uh, again, I, and sadly, um, you know, I've seen cases like that where the the client runs out of money and uh, and gets stuck going to trial by themselves. That, that's not my cases. I've seen cases where you know, this happened in other in other scenarios, but um, yeah, I mean that, that could could conceivably happen. Um, one of the things that I have done in the past, and I have not done this in a while for someone in that, that situation, is not enter an appearance of their attorney, but be their um, behind-the-scenes counselor, basically. Listen, if I go in, you know, it, it's going to be more because I'm going to be both. But if you need to consult with somebody along the way, it's going to, you know, again, I don't think, well, it's, this is, it's price A or price B. No, it's not like that, but it's a, it will be a lot less time. You know, I will, as or the lawyer, will be spending a lot less time with the client because it's not going to court, not necessarily doing, but advising the client. Now, that takes a certain type of client, too, the client who has the wherewithal, the um, stamina, 
the intelligence, the skill to, to do that. A lot of people could do that with, with the good advice behind it, but some people cannot. And, you know, but that would be one possible solution I, that I've seen uh, for that type of situation. Uh, but I will say I had a really, really good case resolved, um, and, and it's good for the parties. I'm happy that it resolved uh, this morning or last late last night. Um, and this was a case where there was not much money between either either a spouse, uh, neither had much money. Um, and there was a lot of tension. And again, all these issues that we've been talking about, I could bring them up here, but just to keep it focused on this one particular aspect. Um, one of the spouses broke down and or he broke down, came to his or her sense and said, we, this is financially disastrous for the whole family. Let's just work it out. You know, although 24 hours, it might be completely different, you know, the call on a different tune, but um, let's see if we can work it out. And the two of them, God bless these two. They had a little powwow. They got together. They went, you know, they sat down um, and worked it all out. And against my better judgment, by the way, uh, this morning when I woke up, I got a call. My client signed something. I mean, my, my judgment would be like, hey, Whatever you do, great, but don't sign anything until I see it. Anyway, uh, I was woken up this morning. Uh, my client called and said, hey, by the way, we signed something. And sitting somewhere on my desk over here. But um, it's fine. You know, not ideal. But considering the situation, um, to really get something a little bit better, it would cost a lot, 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 lot more than what it cost them to, to sell. So, you know what? That's that's fantastic. And that. that it doesn't happen all the time, but that's a great result. So if on. someone is representing themselves, they might be going up against a top lawyer. Is that correct? That is certainly correct. I mean, so, yeah. so what is – because I've heard the term before, pro se, and that being where um, both people are not allowed to have a lawyer, correct? No, no, no. I've never heard of that. Pro se is uh, simply by yourself. I okay. Guess it's like, okay. Listen to the Latin. The lawyers love the Latin, right? Pro, I guess it's for and say self, but yeah. you know, for yourself. Uh, but there's there's no rule like that that I've ever heard, and not not in any of the jurisdictions. Okay. I've ever okay. I thought I thought there might have been a rule where you can go pro se and both people are not allowed to be represented. The, no, no. I, I but I think the closest thing to that might be this or something. If, if you say you, you had already had your divorce in, in, in a typical case, right? And you you, writ, you wrote up a provision that before you, if there's a problem in the future, you need to readdress child support or you need to readdress custody for whatever reason. Uh, someone's going to move out of the jurisdiction, whatever. Right, right. You you um, have an agreement in place that before you go to court, you go to mediation. Right. You have to put a good faith three hours of mediation before you can do it. And that doesn't mean one party or the other couldn't hire a lawyer to advise them what to do prior to that, but it means that you might just go into a, a mediation session that the parties will co-pay or you know, equally pay or whatever they agree to in advance and have an attempt to settle it. And that would be great. I mean, that would be if they can resolve it that way. And then, of course, if not, there's always, well, if not, well, then you can go to court. You're never going to be, sh- you're never going to shake yourself out of, of, of a possible you know, resolution. But, yeah. So let's say you have, Two people, mm-hmm. one uh, the abused person and the other the high-conflict person. Both of them don't have any money. They're both trying to get a divorce, or at least one person's trying to get a divorce uh, using no lawyers. Is there a way to quicken the process, or is it like – I guess it could be state by state to get the divorce, get everything, uh, and then get, uh, get everything you want? Well, that's – when you say get everything you want – um, there's, I never heard of being able to get everything you want against the, uh, the narcissist. It's our, you know, if you're the, if you're the abuser, sure. You know, it's called just overwhelm the poor person, you know, the poor spouse with, you know, that, but, but, um, there's no way, I don't think you ever really have a situation where both parties get everything they want. Uh, there's an expression, um, you know, if, if both parties walk away uh, upset about the the you know mediate the negotiations of the settlement that they come to. It was a good settlement, you know. Uh, both have given up a lot, and you know you got to the middle. So when someone says, "Oh yeah, that was great," my God, I'm so glad I got that. The other person is probably been taken advantage of, or, you know. It's a, but but um, 
as far as um, doing something like that, I, I don't think that that would be something typically uh, that, that could be really could really ever happen. But what what they do have is if you could reach a mediation and could come to an agreement, sure, you could, you could expedite the whole system and save a lot of money by doing what's called, at least now in Maryland and in another jurisdiction, an uncontested divorce where you, the parties come in and they put on the back of a napkin or they put on a nice piece of paper or they found a form online and they put the terms of their you know, divorce, uh, custody, whatever it may be, on paper and, and signed off on it and came into court. That would be great. I mean, that would be as far as uh, the parties did resolve it without the expense of a high conflict divorce, you know, and that's, that's great. And I, I help a lot of people with that too. Um, again, it's not as expensive because there's not much to fight. Again, and what really in, in family law, what brings up the, the cost mostly is time. You know, it's, it's really the more time consuming it is, the um, well, more expensive it will be as well. So if you can do it quickly and efficiently, you know, all the power to them. So yeah, it's great. So I'm going to backtrack here because right now I got onto the question of uh, when you don't have lawyers. But the question I should have asked before that, and it's a question I get a lot from people, people when they send in emails. And that is, you know, they've, they've hired their lawyer. You know, sometimes lawyers have fake reviews, you know, mm-hmm. you, can, you know, you know, they've, they, they've done, you know, things like that. That's unethical, by the way. That is unethical, just so you know. Yeah, so. You know that. So, <laughs> you know, you have a lawyer that you've hired and you get the gut feeling that this quickly something is is wrong what are the i guess maybe for you the warning signs right away that you need to cut the cord on this lawyer and get a new one as quickly as possible before you get a lot of wasted time and money well i guess no one can satisfy all people all the time so you're gonna have dissatisfied people for one reason or another too expensive not attentive but there certainly are times when um it would be good to to cut loose real quick um and i I suppose i mean i could just you know we don't know each other very well we've spoken a couple times but you know you you pick up on people right you you and you're able to and i feel like i'm able to and there are a lot of people who just pick up those vibes. And, you know, just think of this one person who's who's on a case that I'm, uh, I guess it's like a, essentially like a father-in-law or something. Just something about that guy is just creepy, okay? There's just something off about that guy. I, I don't know what it is, but he rubs it the wrong way. He doesn't have to open his mouth. But, you know, just, um, again, I'm not saying that we should be prejudiced against people like that, but but if you start picking up these vibes for whatever reason off the, off your where like he's not sincere or she's not sincere or you're getting lied to and you catch them in a lie and there's just a certain level of unreliability or unresponsiveness, you know, these would certainly be things that you might pick up on early on to say, Hey, wait a minute, you know, why is this guy doing that? Maybe he's too maybe he or she, the lawyer, is um, you know, spread too thin. Maybe this person is not what they are cracked up to be. You know, and, and, you, and you got something going there. And, and, and I, I suppose, you know what, if you're working with a medical doctor about this, that, or the other thing, and you just get an opinion, you just don't necessarily, you're not ready to sign up for the surgery, what do you do? You get a second opinion. And uh, something I do, I, mean, I I don't do it often. I'm not here to poach other lawyers' clients. But if someone's not satisfied with their, with their lawyer at the time, please come, you know, feel free to call me or call another lawyer and talk to him. And you might get a guy who's going to try to sell you and, oh, no, that guy's terrible. But if you, get, if you get someone who you can trust and say, you know, well, it's really not that. Whatever. If you could find somebody who you think you could work with better, you might as well. And, and again, there's oftentimes I get calls from people who are, who are represented and are looking to switch lawyers. And, and you know, and I mean, it's going to happen. So um, I guess, you know, the, the, the bottom line is, is you, I mean, it's, it sounds kind of cheesy, but you know, you got to go with your gut. If you're picking up those bad vibes, you think something's not right, why not just see what else is out there? You know, that's probably what I would I'd have to say to <laughs> to your audience. Um, but you know, it's, and, it's, and it's okay to do that. It's okay. You know, it's not like you're disloyal. I mean, 
you have to do what's best for you. And, you know, that's, that's probably the, the best advice I would, I would give to uh, someone in that situation. So earlier when we were talking about court cases and when the wrong outcomes uh, happen, you know, you briefly mentioned protective orders and restraining orders. So uh, getting back to that, how are uh, protective orders, sorry, how yeah. are protective orders and restraining orders uh, used and abused? Well, yeah, that is definitely something that, um, you know, the use of courses uh, and, and uh, my, my understanding is that the people, you know, the, our audience today or whenever today is for them, <laughs> people who are listening to this, um, you know, may be attracted to this type of um, podcast because they are people who have been abused and have been um, either physically or emotionally because that's kind of what happens in narcissistic relationships. Um, but used, they, they are used to protect. I mean, it's, there are, again, protections because of the abuse that we've alluded to before, and we'll talk about it a little bit more. But um, you know, if there is something that is going on, these are here to protect you. And, um, again, you don't always get it, you know, if you need it, because there are procedural safeguards and, you know, uh, we don't want everyone, every narcissist out there to accuse, you know, his or her victim of abuse and win every time because they came up and made the claim. So there's got to be, you know, a way to, to, to measure this. And, um, but yeah, it, it, it's great that we do have the system, that we, we at least have a way to present to a neutral judge or magistrate that something may be amiss or something, there is something wrong here. And, you know, and they, we want to be able to you know, get to the bottom of this. If this person need, is in need of protection, uh, at least we know you can use these protective orders um, as a way of protecting yourself, your family, your children, um, what have you, uh, from uh, further abuse. And, again, it's, it's a scary, scary thing. Fortunately, you know, in a lot of um, jurisdictions, maybe every jurisdiction, there are some uh, type of uh, public interest um, groups, uh, pro, uh, pro bono, we talk about pro se, but pro bono is, you know, free charitable, uh, contributions pay for it, but there are ways to, um, get, the, get that assistance early on. Yeah. So there is that, but it's interesting too, because one of my, one of the things I find most abusive or when, when there is an abuse of the system, it's always disturbing, but what really, really, really disturbs me about that is when the abuser um, will be the one to have the pro bono lawyer. Uh, I've had people in my office crying their eyes out about how horrible the life is, only to you know come in and make the uh, claim that this person, you know, my client is is true. You know, and again, I have every reason to believe that this is true. You know, you know, this is sincere, uh, but then come into court and find the uh, other side represented by some pro bono group or another, knowing in your heart of hearts that this is the wrong person. You know, my, the pet peeve that I'm talking about is I just wish there was a way that that there could be better screening. And again, I'm just not a blanket criticism of any one particular group or one particular organization, but just when I see that, and I've seen it many times, uh, <clears throat> And it is objectively proven. I mean, at the end of the day, the, you know, the other side necessarily comes up to me and says, oh, you were right because people do that. But when you see their expression at the end, like they realize what had happened, that they were taken by their you know, client, they were on the wrong side of justice. But when I see that, that is just really a, a, a horrible abuse. It's not just abusing the system in the sense that you're using the law to, as, as a sword, but you're now grabbing this public resource, this, you know, this pro bono research that's for the purpose of protecting to use it as a weapon. And that, that's really, uh, I don't want to say you don't get me started. I've already gotten started. It's, it really, it's, 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 I find that very, very fortunate uh, that that does, that scenario does happen. And, um, you know, it's, again, that's why the justice system is, uh, you know, it's, it's never, it's not perfect, but again, it's the best we got. Right. And, um, 
all all we can do as the lawyers is do what we can to advocate for truth, justice, and our clients. And again, I have to say it that way because, sadly, you know, I mean, when you're the lawyer, you take on the case. You, you take the good, bad, and the ugly. And again, I'm really hoping that the people who are out there who are um, likely to use and abuse the system uh, are not attracted to me as their lawyer. You know, I'm not looking for that person. You know, I, I don't need that. There's plenty of people there who who could use help, who could afford the help that I provide them and are willing to, to do it that, um, you know, these other people, um, you know, let them go elsewhere. Find someone who's more like them. You know, that's, that's kind of what, uh, what I, I would say about that particular thing. But, but yeah, I, I, I mean, it, it's not the same thing either, by the way. <clears throat> I just want to distinguish between, like, criminal defense, criminal defense attorneys, because in those situations, it, the people who are defending um, someone who's accused of a crime, uh, the Constitution provides that everyone has the right to a lawyer in a criminal case, in a criminal case, not in a civil case. You do not have a constitutional right. Again, I'm talking to America, but I, I don't, I'm not familiar with the Canadian system, but presumably it's similar. Um, but you, you have a constitutional right to a, uh, a defense. If you can't afford an attorney, one will be appointed to represent you. Um, unfortunately, or fortunately, or just the way it is, if you are wrongly accused in a civil protection order case of domestic violence that you didn't commit, you're not constitutionally guaranteed uh, the right to a, an attorney. But, um, but when you are defending somebody, uh, what you're doing is just making sure that that person's rights are protected. Right, that, that, that the system is done properly to protect the every man or every man or woman from a government a system that can come down and can, uh, and convict a ham sandwich if they want. You know, you need some safeguards here, and so those people who are out there defending, you know, people who are bad people. Let's just say it. Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of people who are good people who get caught up in the system, but even the bad people. The reason that they're doing it, and it's, and it's different than the example I was giving about the uh, pro bono um, uh, domestic violence clinic type three lawyers who are representing the abuser, uh, we're, we're um, not promoting or helping uh, these people get away with crime. We're just protecting their civil rights, their constitutional rights, and making sure that the government is held to that to account for to, to avoid abuses. Um, and ideally, the guilty will be convicted and the innocent will go free, right? Ideally. You know, whether it happens all the time, it doesn't. But again, we don't put our resources in, we don't put our public resources in to defending people who abuse, except when those abusers misuse, you know, the system. And again, I wish I could just wave my magic wand and it will never happen, but it does. Well, Lloyd, I want to thank you for sharing your knowledge with the audience today. Uh, you did a, you know, a mitzvah. Thank you. <laughs> I, I, I dig it, man. I dig it. <laughs> and, you know, you, you, you found us and you, you gave a lot of knowledge and you're going to help a lot of people. Uh, you, you do it, you know, uh, in your job and now you're going to help a lot of people for who are listening to the show. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. And, you know, um, I, 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 I just I, I do want to say, look, even if you're not in my jurisdiction or something, and you have some problems and we'll talk to your audience now uh, and, uh, and you do have some people out there, um, you know, Give me a call or something. Uh, you know, I, I I'm busy, but I, I work late. <laughs> uh, I'm really really busy, uh, but you know, let's, let's see if I, can, I just if there's something I can do. And again, I'm not, I'm not saying take you by the hand and, and represent somebody in Canada or in you know another state. I'm not licensed to, but um, you know, um, I I'd like to see if I can do something to help help your your folks out or if anyone really needs my help. So. Well, thank you. And for people to find you once again, uh, give everyone uh, all of your information where they can find you. Sure. Um, I have a my, my firm is called Malik Law. I'm just rebranding it, by the way. But uh, uh, Malik Law is spelled M A L E C H. That's my last name. Law L A W dot com. There's a website there. Uh, once you get to that, there's ways to reach me. You can fill out little. Uh, questionnaire, whatever it is, little in, input information sheets, and, 
and uh, seem to reach out. And I would love to help anybody, especially if they're in, in my jurisdiction where I could actually do something for you. Uh, but anyway, I, it's, it's, it's a, what, what you're doing, Brandon, is, is awesome. Uh, again, I really do believe that there's some type of faith that led us together. I, I hope, hopefully, not just for me and you, but for somebody out there who hears, and, and I read one person, maybe, just maybe, that would be great. Well, thank you, and everyone, all of this information. We'll we'll eventually make show notes for for this show so everyone can read everything. Everything uh, to find Lloyd, we'll be putting it in our show notes as well. So thank you for everyone uh, who is listening. And from Lloyd and I, I hope you we hope you have a good night.